I love this reading from Romans 5. This is from last week's reading as we read through the Bible together. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That right there is a basis for worship. <laughs> we have peace with God. We have been justified. We have been declared to be right, in the right with God through Jesus Christ. We have peace with him. And through Jesus, we have also gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. So come on, we have peace with God. We're standing in grace, which is like a waterfall of God's love and favor in our life through Christ. And even through the greatest trials of our life, we have the assurance that God is pouring, not that he poured one time, but he's pouring his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who he's given us. That's a reason to worship. And it says this, At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, but for a good person someone might possibly die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I don't know where, I don't know where you're at this morning, but the fact is God saved you, uh, and he knew everything about you, and he knew everything you would do in the future as well, and he chose to save you anyway. God loves you. Um, and his love is his great characteristic. He has poured his love into our heart by his Holy Spirit. Uh, we have been set at peace with God through Jesus Christ. Let's join me in prayer as we come before the throne of the King. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the truth of our, our justification through faith. That we stand in your grace. We thank you that your love came before. That while we were still sinners and not even looking, looking for you, you died for us then. And that gives us such a confidence to enter your throne of grace boldly, to come before you boldly, because we know that there is nothing that can separate us from your love. Nothing. Not sin, not angels or demons or anything else can separate us from your love because of what you did for us in Christ. So we glory in our, in our salvation. We, we rejoice in it, Lord. We give you all the praise and the credit for it. We are just grateful, and we want to express our gratefulness and our love back to you this morning in worship. Today is, is kind of a special day. We are kind of taking um, this Sunday to share about some things that have been going on in our church in short-term missions. And uh, um, yesterday, as a matter of fact, we had our youth group return from a mission trip in West Virginia, which I heard some amazing things about uh, stuff that happened over there. So we get to hear about that today. Um, I would like to invite Jen back up, and we're going to take quite a few minutes here and hear about, first of all, their trip. They just, they just uh, got back yesterday, or Friday. I'm sorry, I said yesterday, but it was Friday that they got back late Friday um, from West Virginia. Oh, Saturday morning. <laughs> and then we're going to, after they share, have a few other individuals who have either gone on trips or uh, are going on a trip in the near future. And so um, we wanted to just hear about those types of things because this, this service today is really about um, hearing about what God has done in people's lives through, through missions and through that act of stepping out 
of their comfort zone and, uh, and just saying, God, here I am, use me. And so right now we get to hear from the Logan, West Virginia youth team. So if anyone's here, let's... Uh, Um, I'm going to give everybody a chance to speak. We've got some pictures to share with you today. We're not telling you the whole story because we'd love for you to come back in a few weeks um, on Wednesday, September 12th in the evening to where you can really sit and talk with us, ask questions. We can tell you more in-depth stories about what we had, uh, what we did and, and what happened to us. But today's kind of a, a teaser of some of, the, some of the things that we did and where we were going. And so who wants to start? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Jen kind of got me. She actually asked me, she said, Joel, you're fun. I said, strike one. <laughs> the kids like you. Strike two, and you're handy. Strike three. No. Actually, I am so glad I went. I know I shouldn't have started. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The kids are amazing. I don't know if you know any of these kids. I got to know them a lot better this week. Um, they are amazing. I wish, is Grace up there? Yeah, I wish we could all change their name to Grace because they are all, all amazing, okay? That's a joke. You get it? Okay, okay. <laughs> anyway, um, these two girls right here, whether you, they, they look, you know, petite, frail, and they are human backhoes, Okay. We had to dig out this one guy's foundation um, one day, two days. He would have loved to have it finished digging it for the next 12 weeks. But we had a contest. I said, girls, got to get 100 buckets because we're doing dirt. 100 buckets apiece. We're going to work as a team. I said, okay, 150. <laughs> and no kidding because the guy wanted four feet deep. And we... we at least the, the one leader that was with us was smart enough to call the other guy and said, we are not digging this guy's foundation four feet deep. He said 18 inches originally. That's what we're going to go do with. But these girls were amazing. This is Jen, and this is, now I learned Jen Jen, okay? She was on me with the work team, and we had these two. Luke, I'm your father. And Adriel. And we also had Sean, who's not here today. But these guys, we, we got up about 6.30. We, we were in bed every night shortly after 11. It was not a vacation, but was a great, great, oh, unbelievable. God was in the house, and he was, in the, he was out in, in the dirt field and out in the, the, the field when we were ripping down vines and almost started a small fire, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> But anyway, no, it was great, and I appreciate the opportunity. I, every time I do this, or any time I've do, done anything, whether I'm coaching or whatever, I get more out of it, way more out of it than the kids do. And uh, I just appreciate uh, Jen and Greg for putting up with me, too. So. <laughs> Thanks. I was a little worried about going um, on the trip at first. But then I made, like, a lot of new friends and a lot of new connections with people, and I feel like God really opened my eyes up more on him through this trip. Um, so something I was working on the whole time was not complaining as much. Um, I did pretty good. I mean, obviously, like, early in the morning at 645, it's not going to be the easiest. 
And so, you know, the occasional I'm hungry, I'm tired, my legs hurt, um, that happened. But Elizabeth and I high-fived on it the first day that I wasn't going to complain about not having my phone or the living conditions or the work we were doing. And I think I did a pretty good job. And um, the reason, like, I'm saying this is because it helps me, like, be more self-aware and, like, be in the moment instead of complaining about, um, like, the things that I wasn't used to not having. Um, it helped me just, like, get more out of the experience and, like, realize that, like, God would provide for me even if I didn't have, like, all the comforts at home. So... Yeah, I'm actually going to back up a little bit uh, about what Grace said because we were definitely out of our comfort zone there. And uh, I tried uh, not to complain as well, although I definitely a few uh, squeaked out. But yeah, we were most definitely out of our comfort zone there. Um, but yeah, this week um, was amazing. Um, I'm used to... Um, working with, you know, the little babies in the nursery and the young kids at VBS. Um, so this was really the first time I've really gotten to work with the high schoolers and um, getting to know them a little better, some of them, and they were just awesome. Um, you know, like Grace said, the mornings were a little bit rough getting up early after getting to bed late and working hard all day, but um, the kids that I worked with, when we were on our work site, they were all about working and getting the job done, and they were just amazing. And our team just worked so incredibly well together. I was, I, I was amazed. It, it was a really nice, nice week working together for the glory of God. Um, and I, I just want to say just one little blurb for Sydney because she wasn't able to be here today. But um, I know she had definitely said that this past week has uh, definitely reinforced for her that her passion is working with children. And that is a, a gift that God has given to her. And she realizes that. Yeah, so um, I'm just going to explain the work portion of it a little bit. So we had two work sites. One was Mary's house and one was Tony's house. So Mary's house, um, like, it was left abandoned for 15 years after being ransacked by burglars or whatever. So the outside of it was completely covered in weeds. There were vines growing up her uh, siding, and uh, we couldn't even go inside the house because there was so much mold and everything. So the whole week, we were looking forward to finally going inside our house to be able to clean everything up and, you know, do whatever we were doing in there. So we, we, fi we finally got, we were able to do that the last day. So that felt really good, being able to, you know, look forward to something the whole week and then finally being able to go and help this lady, you know, not just with her yard, but with her actual, um, the inside of her house. And then at Tony's house, um, we helped move a bunch of boxes uh, from his backyard to his front yard. And then we were, we were literally just digging a trench in his backyard, like down his foundation <laughs> for like two whole days. Um, and it was, it was really rocky um, and uh, it, mu muddy, rocky and whatnot. So every, every couple minutes it would be, Luke, can you come, can you come dig this up for me? Can you, can you use the uh, pickaxe to uh, pull everything up? Because we only had the, uh, we had flathead shovels, you know, spades, not, you know, actual digging shovels for the first day. 
So, and, and then with meal prep and stuff, we all, we all pitched in to make our dinners, make our lunches, you know, make our uh, breakfast. So I guess what, what I'm trying to communicate is that it was nice being able to work for yourself for the benefit of, you know, the whole team and for the benefit of the actual community members. Because that, that was, I, we did, uh, at the work sites, we didn't have a whole lot of, you know, face-to-face -face interaction with the, you know, people who were helping because Mary didn't show up at all the entire week, which was a little disappointing. But um, it was nice to know that we were able to actually help the people there and help, um, you know, do what they wanted, not what we thought they wanted done. Um, <laughs> there's, there's a lot I could talk about, but I'll go pretty general right now, I guess. So the kids club, um, it was my parents, me, Sydney, and Carter for our group. And it was pretty cool because the first day, it was a Monday, when all the kids came, it was like absolute chaos. None of them would sit and listen. But um, as the days went on, they kind of like settled down. They found people they wanted to make a connection with. Anyway, so there's this um, girl Emily who was about 10, and she had a younger sister too. And the first day they came, they were like, she was like bossing everybody around, wouldn't listen. Like at our craft table, she was just like banging the table, so everything was going everywhere. And then somehow she found my dad over here, who was just sitting on the bleachers, minding his own business. And throughout the week, she really like latched on to him and. On Wednesday, yeah, Wednesday was our last day of like doing actual craft stuff, and we had Sydney and I had planned on doing like watercolor paints, and like they would take a white crayon, write down the things they loved, or draw a heart and something, and then paint over it with watercolor. And this girl Emily ended up writing her name in the crayon, painting over it, and then putting her fingerprints and other people's fingerprints, and then giving it to my dad as a present to keep in his office. Yeah, and <laughs> both Cindy and I, when we saw that, we were like, oh, like our hearts melted, and it was great. And just to finish that out, um, throughout the week, I saw in Cindy that she really wanted to work with kids, and in me too. And I saw a new passion in Carter open up for kids, and that was amazing. So. Um, I'm actually going to talk about something on more of a spiritual level. I... I had my first encounter with God this week. Um, I think it was Wednesday night, and we went, the entire group, we went to a service, and towards the end of the message from the pastor, he was talking about, you know, talking to God and encountering him. And he told us all to bow our heads and close our eyes and, ra and raise your hand if, like, you wanted an encounter with God. And he told us, each of us, to pray individually. And um, I asked him, you know, I don't care whether it be to tomorrow or a year from now or when I'm old and on my deathbed. I want you to give me a sign and tell me that, you know, you're real. Well, that happened the next day. Um, I think it was during the gathering. There's this little time called the gathering where all the groups would come together and we'd read a scripture from the Bible and we'd talk about it. And I think it was Thursday night. That's The scripture was the story where... Um, Jesus got all the disciples together and he washed it, their feet and after we read it and talked about it the camp counselors told the, the adult leaders to um to stay in their seats and, wa and the camp counselors would wash their feet then the group leaders would wash our feet the the kids so as the
group leaders, um, Greg, Jen, and Joel, were walking around our group, washing everybody's feet. I felt, I felt God coming to my heart, and like He told me to close my eyes and bow my head, and He told me that you know I am here and I love you, and that from that day, from that night, I've, I've, I can't, I can't stop, I can't stop thinking about it, and you know, now I know that you know He is here and He's in me. I don't know how to follow that, but uh, so just uh, like Jen said, we're going to have a time during our youth group where everybody can come and get more details, um, but I'm not sure what we're doing with all of this going back and forth. So yeah, I'll just do, I'll just do something real brief on all these slides if you want. That's the view of where we were staying, so you're kind of overlooking Logan, and that's most of Logan. Uh, there's not much more to it than that. It's only about a mile and a half long, the entire village. Um, those are the mountains that are in the background you see on the left. Uh, every day had a daily routine, so you would get up at uh, 6.45 or, or 6.30 or 7 o'clock is when you had to get up. You would go down. We'd all eat together. You'd pray, and then you'd break up into your groups. Uh, two groups went out and did work, you know, physical labor, and then two groups stayed and did the kids. That lasted all day. Uh, one of the things that we had to do was go pick up the children uh, who were at kids' clubs. So we watched a preparatory video a few weeks before, and they showed, you know, a lot of poverty in Logan. Uh, and it was like a, an ABC special, so they were really playing that up. And when we got to Logan, the town itself doesn't look that bad. Um, there are some places, but you have to look for it. But when you get out into the neighborhoods, and I, I think everybody in our group had an opportunity to get into the neighborhoods. You know, you'd have to drive, you know, five or six miles, and then you'd turn off the main road into some of these, they call them hollers, but they're like neighborhoods that are basically just dumped in an area where they're all on top of each other. And uh, One of the girls that we had to go pick up, you know, they had no power, and they hadn't had power for like, you know, I don't know how long it was. Uh, so the, the kids all had a story, and they wouldn't open up right away, but during the course of the week, you would kind of hear something about, you know, we didn't have, you know, power last night, I had to stay somewhere else. So you'd hear these things and, you know, although those groups did a lot of physical back-breaking labor, uh, when you were talking to the kids, it was a lot of emotional, it was emotionally draining for me anyway to hear, you know, from these kids and some of their stories. So every, each team had a different task to do. Somebody had to make breakfast, somebody had to clean up breakfast, uh, same for dinner. There was building cleanup. And these are just pictures of our kids when they were doing their thing. They seem happier in the pictures than they actually acted when it was there. So, yeah, they had music going. So it, it, it was pretty good. The, the work crews, you know, came back with mud all over themselves every day. Uh, one note that I will give credit to our kids, we were the only group that didn't allow cell phones to come with them. Uh, and I know that was terribly disappointing to our children when they showed up and everybody else was on their phones. On the other hand, I can definitely say that I think our group got more out of this than the other groups who were rushing back all the time looking at their phones. So I applaud our group for not complaining entirely. And those stories, that picture you saw just before there, um, again, our kids were great. The kid, you guys will correct me if I'm wrong, but this boy that's in the picture was just a neighborhood kid who the work crews invited to come help 
and you know they befriended him and I think that was really uh, wonderful he wasn't part of the kids club or anything he was just in the neighborhood and saw the guys doing the work and helped out uh, we talked about kids club before we did a prayer walk uh, we walked through a tough neighborhood um, most of you all know that I'm a police officer so I was noticing a lot of what was going on in the yards and in the side areas and it was a tough road that we were walking down and we just kind of prayed over Logan and and uh, that was kind of tough to to walk through and look at some of the conditions that the folks there are living in um, that's Madison uh, we will tell her story at uh, the youth club but she she got to everybody's heart for sure that week that's just a little teaser for Madison's story uh, that's the work staff minus one uh, there was one other uh, young Mary Jean that's Mary Jean yeah okay so she was in the one with Madison that was the staff that kind of gave us our direction for the day uh, uh, that's a picture of our group that's the entryway to where we were staying uh, that's the actual building you see where the crosses are we stayed in that building on the on the right where the white cross is and then there's a brick building behind it which is where the gym and the meal prep and everything was so that story of that is it's an abandoned school used to be their high school um, it looked like they they had a lot of plumbing issues they had a lot of structural issues Not, nothing that was unsafe but you can imagine if this the school was shut down in 1990 1990 or 1992 and it was basically left abandoned until the church bought it they have church on the second floor we stayed on the third floor the bottom floor was some sort of clothing ministry but it's it's pretty run down uh, and again I applaud our kids for enduring all of that and some of our adults too and there we are overlooking the, the thing I think that's the last slide right okay again we'll we get we have more details to give this is just kind of a teaser but I hope you'll all come join us on our youth group night Um, that was awesome. I mean, I can't wait to hear more about all the stuff that happened over there. Um, the, I, something about youth trips, especially a successful one, where it, people actually come back and they don't want to kill each other, um, and, and the leaders is, 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 a, is a win, but that was, that's, that was so, so great hearing how, how just the stories of people being touched by what they saw and did and God did in them, through them. Um, we're going to hear about a few other, uh, few other from a few other individuals. Next, we're going to hear from Mary Jo Koaleski, who recently went to Bosnia. Um, as you, uh, some of you might know, we have a really strong relationship with uh, a ministry over there that she'll talk a little bit about. Um, but uh, we wanted to uh, just kind of take this time to hear about everybody in the church who we've sent in some capacity uh, to to. Um, do a mission uh, mission type trip or, or something along that line. So let's hear from from Mary Jo. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Is on? Can you hear me? Okay. So many of you know me as MJ or wife of Ed. Uh, yeah, we've been uh, we've been at New Life since 1997. Uh, we came when we were. Well, I was in my 40s. He was in his 30s. He's a lot younger than I am. So anyway, um, at, you know, at that time, we were both pretty um, 
young in our faith, however you want to say it. You know, we hadn't been Christians. Both came to the Lord in our 30s, so, um, you know, we were, we were walking with the Lord, but pretty, pretty much babies at the time. And um, so for me, uh, I didn't really know a lot about missions. Uh, from my other churches, I was raised Catholic. They didn't talk a lot about missions. So uh, my, first, my first Christian church was a church um, that reached out to the community but wasn't really into missions either. So uh, when we joined the Christian Missionary Alliance, it was really our first, you know, kind of education about missions. So anyway, um, uh, took my first, for me to talk about my trip, my last trip to Bosnia, I kind of need to go back to my first trip because it doesn't really make sense to why was I even in Bosnia for the fifth time. Um, if I don't talk about the first time. Um, I took, uh, New Life took its first mission trip to Bosnia in 2004. I was not on that trip, um, but uh, that was the first connection they made with Bosnia in 2004. Our then Pastor Bo kind of set up the um, relationship with a couple missionaries there and said, we want to partner with you. So at that time, the partnership was made. Um, so fast forward one year, and um, I remember, I remember when, the, when, the, when the, the team came back in 2004, I was sitting out there like you were, and they were given a report, just like the West Virginia team did. And I just remember this one young girl kind of like listening to these guys who said she had heard from the Holy Spirit. You know, like I almost cried when I heard that today because that's like really huge when a person hears from the Holy Spirit for the first time, from God for the first time. And I don't really remember what she said she heard from God, but I remember thinking, wow, I'd like to hear from God like that. You know, like, that's just amazing when you hear from God. And I'm sure the kids can tell you that is amazing, especially the first time. So I thought it was pretty cool. And so a year later, um, I'm sitting in a service, and, you know, uh, Pastor Bo gets up at the end of the service and makes an announcement. So anyway... Um, at this point, I'd just like to take a couple minutes and read a story to you that I wrote. I'm probably going to have to read it. I've never gotten through this story without crying, so some of you have heard it, like Lorian has heard it. Um, but I wrote this story after my, after my second trip to Bosnia. It was probably like seven years after. And it was because I had, like these guys talked about that one little girl that touched them all in West Virginia. They're going to always remember that little girl and the reason that she touched them and that little girl is going to change their life forever because of what she did for them in West Virginia well this is this story is about a woman that touched me on my first trip and changed my life forever so anyway here's my story Pastor Bo was preaching away going on about able to listen to God being ready willing and able to take that faith-filled risk for his kingdom blah 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 I'm starting to doze off as he completes his sermon, as you do many times when you're listening to sermons, and he begins to say in his announcements, we're sending a mission team to Bosnia this summer. I don't really recall what he said after that, but suddenly my heart started pounding rapidly. I gasped for air. My mind began to race. My, thought went, my thoughts went something like this. Go to Bosnia? Why would you want me to go there? Come on, God. You can't be serious. What would I do in a war-torn country like that? What are you saying? Leave my family for three weeks, spend time with needy people in a country I hardly know anything about? Um, God, you know I have a seven-year-old to care for. That's important too, isn't it? 
Although this back and forth battle went with God, continued in my mind, I knew that I had to go. I peered over at my husband, who was sitting peacefully beside me, completely unaware of the battle God was raging in my head. I leaned over, whispered in his ear, Honey, I'm not sure why, but I think I'm supposed to go on that trip to Bosnia. He just stared at me for a moment, looked in disbelief. He whispered back to me, Have you lost your mind completely? Is that place even safe? That was the beginning of an adventure that would change my perspective on life forever. I had no idea as I sat there, but God was about to show me himself. In the form of a woman, I can't even say her name without crying, who <laughs> was willing to trust him with her entire being. I met Seika on my second week in Bosnia. I remember looking at her apartment building as we went up the street. Connie will remember this because she was walking up the street with us. She was on that team. Um, the facade of the old brick structure had still had shell holes in it from the Civil War that had almost destroyed the once beautiful city. Little did I know at the time that the, those bullet holes were a constant reminder to Seika of the loss she had suffered during the war that raged in Bosnia and Herzegovina just a few years back. Seika was a 50-something woman with kind eyes, a genuine smile, and made you feel at home. She was neatly dressed and perfectly made up. Seika and her husband lived very modestly in this tiny apartment, but it had a warm sense of peace. There were handmade lace doilies and table linens covering everything. She started out our visit by serving us these del delicious homemade desserts that almost put you in a coma. I'm not kidding. Uh, strong Bosnian coffee, which is always served wherever you go, and fresh squeezed lemonade. She was a gracious host. We visited. We learned of Seika's great skills in knitting and crocheting. When we asked her how she got started making these beautiful crafts, Seika told us her story in these words. Just as the war was breaking out, my husband and I traveled to the countryside to do some work. We took our three-year-old granddaughter with us. When we set out from Mostar, we never dreamed what would happen in our city, that the war would spread all over Bosnia-Herzegovina, and that it would come so quickly to our city and in such magnitude. We intended to go for just a couple days, but it would be several years before we could return home. My son and daughter-in-law remained in Mostar, and since their only child was with us, we longed to make contact with them. We attempted to enter the city a couple of times, but the war was so intense that there was no means of contact, even though we were just 30 miles away. We learned later that just two months after we had left Mostar, our beloved son lost his young life. He was leaving the house for work, and a grenade fell and killed him instantly at the very doorstep of our building. When our daughter-in-law finally made contact with us, there was no end to my pain. I did not know what to do with myself, much less what to do with my granddaughter. How could I explain all of this in a way sorry, that she would understand? All she knew was that she wanted to be with her daddy. There was no way for her to comprehend this tragedy. For a while, I wrote letters to my granddaughter from my son so I could read, just so I could read them to her. I did not want her to forget him or his deep love for her. I asked God the same question over and over. Why did he take away my beloved child? I began to hate Mostar and everything in it. I dreamed about moving far away, but God had a better plan for me right here in Bosnia, Herzegovina. I returned to Mostar in 1995 and the war ended in 96. I began to attend a local church with my daughter-in-law. With each service, I felt God healing my heart and the pain became less intense. I wanted to give my life for God and find complete peace in what I was doing. 
One day I was waiting in line for free clothing that the church was distributing. I saw a lot of yarn and crochet thread. At that moment, I heard God telling me to draw on his talents that he had given me to use the materials for his glory. I had an idea to start up a group that would teach other women to knit and crochet and allow us to heal from the pain of the war together. I went to our pastor and I asked if I could use a room in our church building for classes. I started meeting with other women who wanted to learn a new skill and I talked about life after the war and other spiritual things. Our group was mixed, mixed ethnically, culturally, generationally, and religiously. This was not normal in Bosnia since the war had caused so much mistrust between different ethnic and religious groups throughout the country. The group grew quickly and God worked our pain and differences as only he can. So after meeting Seika and hearing her story, it was pretty clear to me that when we listen to God, anything can happen. Seika's small group of women in Mostar has grown to several groups in, at this time, five cities throughout Bosnia and Herzegovina. I think it's up to nine now. The Bosnian Handcraft Project, inspired by Seika, has allowed women who were otherwise unable to find jobs use their skills to feed their families. When I returned home from Bosnia, it was immensely difficult for me to assimilate back into my normal routines. I felt it was unfair that we have so much. Sorry. And these women were working so intensely each day to have so little. This, I realized, was an internal struggle that I was going to have to live with. But I also, I understood more clearly why God had sent me to Bosnia. God used this trip to unsettle my worldview and change my, the trajectory of my life. Through Seika and the situation in Bosnia, God has given me a glimpse of the world as he sees it. I'm sure that when Seika laid her eyes on that pile of yarn and thread while standing in that humanitarian aid line, she had no idea what was going to happen because of her willingness to listen to God. God has grown her little group of women in Mostar beyond Seika's wildest dreams. The fact that families all over Bosnia are being fed because of Seika's willingness to say yes makes my heart come alive. Um, Seika was, is, and just will always continue to be an inspiration in my life. So that was my story about Seika. It's a pretty amazing story. Um, but I, I will tell you, that was my first short-term mission trip ever. Um, pretty amazing trip. Seika was just one of the women that I met that really broke my heart. Okay, I think when I went there, God was doing a work in me just to meet women who were, you know, just like we are. They just want to feed their kids, you know. They just want to feed their kids, but they were born in Bosnia. They had no way to feed their kids, you know. So a few months after that first trip in Bosnia, um, I got an email um, from Kathy Aikas. Some of you know who she is. She's our missionary connection in Bosnia saying, uh, hey, I got a job for you. How would you like to be the distribution person for the Bosnian Handcraft Project? Which I knew someone in Wisconsin was doing. I guess the person had to step down. And I have to admit, it probably should have prayed about it, but it was an instantaneous yes because I figured that must have been why I was there. Because to be honest with you, when God called me there, I had no clue why I was supposed to be in Bosnia. But it's a pretty amazing thing about God because you don't know the big picture. You don't know how, who he's going to put you in front of, how he's going to just 
put this puzzle together. It is, you know, he's got the big picture and we don't know it. So it was, it just kind of blew my, that whole thing uh, blew my mind. But since that first trip to Bosnia, I've gone back to teach kids at family camp. I've taught crafts to women's group. I've spoke at meetings. I've taken a church into the mountains to camp, uh, taught baseball to Bosnian kids, which was a thrill for me because you guys all know I love baseball. So, I mean, God has just been so faithful to, to allow me to go back there and do things that not, not only glorify him, but are fun things to do. Like if you talk to this team from West Virginia, you'll, you'll hear about how much they got to serve while they were there. And you go there to serve others, but you end up getting way more out of it than the people you're serving. And that's how I feel about Bosnia. This past March, I got to go back to Bosnia. For the first time, I traveled by myself, which alone took God because, first of all, I don't really like to fly. So flying alone is really scary and flying alone across the Atlantic. So I really had to dig deep on that fear. But God is the killer of fears, for sure. You know, so uh, it was an amazing trip. I got to visit all the women that I have gotten to know over the years that make these beautiful products that, that you guys always see. But I also got to meet a lot of new women. We brought a lot of new women into the project recently, so I got to meet a lot of new women in this past trip. And I got to spend time with Vahida. And Vahida is a Muslim woman who, if any of you have bought any of the quilted zipper bags, you know Vahida, because she makes those bags. So I've been praying for Vahida for years because she's not a believer, and um, she's a really cool lady. And when we first used to visit Vahida, she would actually say to us, don't Jesus me. Don't Jesus me. So this time, it was a pretty interesting meeting. She actually let me pray with her, and I always pray in the name of Jesus. So she let me pray with her, and then she told me a story about how she believes that God brings Kathy to her, Kathy, who's the missionary that buys the products that we sell, when she actually needs money. She said, she told me this faith story that the last time that Kathy was there, um, she had this bill that she had to pay, and she didn't know how she was going to pay it. And she looked out the window, and there was Kathy getting out of her car. And she said, thank you, God, for sending Kathy to me. So... When she says God, she doesn't necessarily mean the same God that we, but I just see her heart softening to our God. And so to me, that is just an amazing story, that Vahida's heart is starting to soften. So I could, I could probably go on, but Corey will be mad at me. Um, like I said, this, this partnership started in 2004. It's going to continue. So, and I hope to be on another team that goes to Bosnia in the future. We can do all sorts of things in Bosnia. It's not just about the handcraft project. There's lots of things that need to be done in Bosnia, like work projects like they did in West Virginia, teaching children, taking churches to camps, all those kinds of things. So I'll just tell you, if, if you're afraid to go on a trip, it's really normal. It's really normal, whether it's Miami, West Virginia, wherever new life might be going, um, it, there's fears there. But there was a lot of fears for me that first time. But God has completely like washed those fears away from me now. I have no fear in, if he's telling me to do something, there's just no fear anymore because I figured he's got it, right? He's got it. So if you're at all interested in, in missions, 
talk to Corey because it's, it's just a life changer. It's a life changer. So anyway, thank you. I hope I didn't talk too long, <laughs> Corey. Thanks. <laughs> thank you, MJ. Awesome. Um, one more person we're going to hear from today, uh, my beautiful wife. <laughs> she's uh, she's going to be going on a trip here in about a month uh, to Moldova, which is in the same part of Europe as um, Bosnia, just a couple countries over. Um, but she's going to be going there, and um, she, she, w she will be sharing a little bit about what she's going to be doing on that trip. <laughs> Um, so as I thought about today, it's kind of hard to share about a trip you haven't gone on yet. So I figured I'd give you a little bit of background about myself and my experience in missions because I feel like probably haven't told a lot of you. Um, <clears throat> I uh, started doing mission trips when I was about 13, 14 years old. I actually, it was punishment from my parents originally. <laughs> and uh, so parents just to keep in mind because it kind of got a hold of me and I have been going ever since. Um, when I was 14 I went on a trip to uh, South Africa. I look back at my mother and think how in the world she sent me to South Africa by myself at 14 but she did and uh, I went with Global Expeditions which is part of Teen Mania Ministries. <clears throat> While I was there um, God got a hold of me kind of like the West, we heard from the West Virginia trip. I heard from God in the first time, um, calling me to missions, saying, go to the nations and help my people. And at the time, I didn't completely know what that meant. I just thought, oh, going on these trips is really cool. It's really fun. I get to experience these things that no one my age understands. So youth group, just kind of a public service announcement, keep digging, keep going, you know, they're all over the Bible, it says, don't let people look down on you for your age, and that includes you. Don't let anyone tell you that you can't experience these things because you're young. Keep digging, and God will keep speaking to you. So I continued in missions. Uh, Moldova will actually be my 34th country, roughly, that I've been to. Um, and I just knew that's what I wanted to do. Who needs college? I'm going to go do, be a missionary. So at 18, I went to YWAM in uh, Germany. Amazing experience. Again, how my mother put me on a plane to Germany to go live in, by myself in YWAM at 18. I think she's crazy, but God gets a hold of all, all of us in different ways, right? Um, part of my outreach with YWAM, I went and worked in an orphanage in China. And uh, <clears throat> it's the orphanage that Stephen Curtis Chapman runs, if any of you have ever heard of it. It's a wonderful facility, but there's a lot of um, hurting there. And while I was, we were at this orphanage for 12 days, we saw 14 babies and children die in that time. And it was at that point that God really started speaking to me about um, coming back to the States and going to nursing school. Because even though God gives us all gifts and uses us in all these different ways, I felt like he needed something tangible. And that's what actually called me in to nursing was um, missions. So... That's a little background as to how I got to this point. Seven years later, this is actually my first medical mission trip. I've been on different things that were supposed to be medical, but uh, you know, things have happened. So even though missions is nothing new to me, going at 28, 29 weeks pregnant will be a little new to me. So God works on all of us. 
Um, why Moldova? Moldova is actually has the poorest economy in all of Europe and the lowest tourism influx. Basically, since the fall of the Soviet Union, nothing has really happened there at all. Um, there are about 300, just under 300 um, doctors for every 100,000 people in the country, which to put that in a little bit of perspective, Saratoga Hospital is 117 inpatient beds and employs roughly the same amount of physicians, maybe even more. So um, there are only really nine major cities in the country, including the capital, which I can't pronounce for the life of me, Chinsau. Um, and all the other towns in the entire country are kind of lumped with these nine cities um, for all of their tax purposes, their leadership reasons, and for that they can say, oh, there's a, there's a hospital in this city, we're fine. But that hospital actually takes care of all these other small towns and villages that are lumped together. So some people are three to four hours away from basic medical care. Um, you know, you need to go to urgent care or ER. Imagine having to travel three to four hours just to see someone for something very basic. So with that, I am a one of 14 who will be going to Moldova with an organization called Global Health Outreach. It's part of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. Um, we're from all over the US, never met any of them. So hopefully um, I get it along well. <laughs> There's four doctors, a nurse practitioner, a PA, four nurses, um, we, you can also bring family members, so there's four just lay people who will be doing logistics and different things to kind of help us out. Um, and hopefully a dentist from Romania will be joining us as well. Moldova is in between Romania and Ukraine there, and uh, Romanian is actually the primary language that's spoken there, so a Romanian dentist would be um, very helpful. We will be doing five days of clinic in a small village which is actually about 40 kilometers outside the capital, which is a, a lot closer than some of these places. But um, travel is not always the easiest. Most of the travel in the country is um, done by trains, apparently. Um, while there, we'll be partnering with um, a group called World Team. And they're the kind of people who will stay on the ground. They are planting churches and doing work in these areas. Um, and will continue this work while we're gone. They're not a medical team, um, but they will, everything that's planted, everything that's done, they can continue the work once we're gone. So that's a big uh, prayer request, is that they will be able to really make an impact in this area, and we're just going to help them out because they're really the feet on the ground. Um, and while we're there, we'll actually be staying in people's homes so that we can be completely submerged in the culture and uh, definitely don't speak Romanian, so hopefully <laughs> that will go well. So a um, couple prayer requests is our leader's name is Kevin, as he's kind of um, putting everything together. He's actually a real estate agent. He's not a medical person, but he's been here a couple of times and he knows how everything works. So he's asked for prayer just as he um, gets everything together. And Jeff is the world team leader who stays on the ground and just for him and the work that he's doing there, as well as all of our team members as we get ready um, to go, that God will prepare us and that we'll be able to be useful while we're there. 